Good morning, everybody. I'm Eureka John, and you're at Eureka Street Crypto, broadcasting live from Leander, Texas at, what time is it? 5.52 in the morning. It's a little later than normal. Um, I need to go to work, so I'm going to have to cut this one short, just read a quick article that I read last night. Um, yeah, as I was going to bed, this is what I do. This is my morning show, my little brain dump, and uh, me just trying to... Uh, talk about all the things that I learn in, in crypto on a day-to-day -day basis, and I try to keep it up. I've been going on like this since um, October 24th, 2020, and uh, yeah, I'm 401 episodes deep, it looks like, so yeah, I guess I've stacked a few episodes. I've learned a lot. I've met a lot of cool people in the crypto space. Um, I've been, you know, shoot, been my mind blown by all this technology and all these ideas and concepts that come out through the crypto space. Um, I've been talking to some people who uh, are, you know, some some normies, I guess you call them, who, who have been interested in crypto and wanting to learn about it. And I just tell them, I'm like, man, it's just like the ultimate game, the game of strategy, the game of technology, the game of economics, the game of psychology, you know, uh, the game of game theory. And um, you just learn so much about a lot of different walks of life and you have Everybody in the crypto space is new. Sure, there are some OGs, you know, old Bitcoiners and stuff and people from the, you know, original Ethereum Foundation, like way back in the day uh, that formed Ethereum and stuff like that. But they're still new, too. I mean, all this stuff is new groundbreaking technology that is happening and everybody's trying to figure out the way to go. Some people are being, you know, guardians and gatekeepers of what's been built up already. And other people are just going off on wild uh, trailblazing tears um, through the space. So, I mean, every, people have are coming from all different types of backgrounds. Um, some people are coming from finance. They don't know jack squat about programming or computers. Um, and then other people are coming from, from uh, software programming, and they're having to create smart contracts and decentralized finance applications with zero knowledge of finance. So, you know, you get both of these worlds converging, and then you get a guy like me, you know, who came through seminary and then, you know, jacked around with, you know, doing nothing basically for 10 years, you know, playing music and stuff, and then just kind of jumping in because I think it, it, it seems cool, you know, and then you got just, you know, even, I don't know, people like truck drivers and plumbers, and, and then, you know, you have people who working for the government, and then people, you know, like people from every single class and sector of society are coming together in cryptocurrency. And uh, it's, and people approach it from different ways. Some people approach it because they want to make quick money. You know, a lot of times that's how people start. They'll jump in the space, you know, trying to, to they see their friend who suddenly made, you know, $20,000 on some weird little micro coin project and stuff like that because it pumped, you know, and they, that person got out at the right time. They don't see the, the tons of people that get completely wrecked, you know, and then. You know, other people, you know, like get in it because they love the new technology. Like me, myself, I saw, I saw the, the, the dot-com boom of the early nineties, but I was kind of a kid back then, you know, I was in my teens and stuff and I didn't really understand what was going on. And I feel like I'm watching that again, but this time as an adult, I actually get to kind of really follow it and participate in it and stuff like that. So that's what I'm trying to do here. Um, anyway, um, let's go to the CoinGecko, take a look and see what's been going on overnight, if anything. Um, 
I, I look at CoinGecko and stuff like this, these these coin uh, ranking pages like CoinGecko, CoinMarketCap, CoinPaprika, CoinCodex. Um, there's a few others and there's some paid ones, you know, like token metrics and stuff like that. Um, but uh, I just stick with CoinGecko. Uh, what can I say? I like the gecko, you know, hey, what's up? You know, so <laughs> um, Bitcoin's at $37,028, uh, Ethereum $25,19. I mean, just, you know, we're kind of moving red again in the past 24 hours. We had a little bit of respite um, in Austin. Uh, it was, you know, cloudy and rainy all week. And then the past couple of days have been sunny, kind of like the crypto market. And then now it's like rainy again today. So you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe the, the Austin weather is following the crypto market or vice versa. Um, so anyway, <laughs> yep. Let's talk about the weather. Let's talk about the government. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Binance coin 369.85. We've got tether, of course, stable coin and number three spot. Um, USDC is a dollar. Um, I thought that USDC flipped tether and market cap or something for a bit there. Maybe it did. I don't know. Uh, Cardano dollar two Solana 9057 and number seven XRP still hanging around at number eight. I don't know how, but it's doing it. Um, you know, there's some diehard XRP people out there. Um, Polkadot, 1755. Um, Dogecoin, 13 cents at number 10. And then we have Terra that jumped up above um, Avalanche at, at 4550. Avalanche is at 6592. Binance Stablecoin. Then way down here, number 14, you have Shiba Inu that's been dropping massively. Um, so you had Doge and, and Shiba Inu for a while, neck and neck right there all the time with avalanche kind of poking right up in the middle of it and Terra as well. But then, um, you know, now Shiba Inu has dropped all the way down, um, to number 14, which I'm honestly kind of glad to see, but you know, that's just between you and me. All right. So, um, let's, uh, hold on. Let me, let me just scroll down and see if there's anything else that really stands out. Crypto.com went up 10% and dropped back down 5% in the past seven days. Um, chain link. Okay. 1687, uh, chain link kind of moves real quick and then just kind of sits there and squats for a while and then it'll move real quick and then squat for a while. That's just what chain link does. Um, Decentraland, the Metaverse token, um, up 20.3% in the past seven days. I do have a nice little healthy, um, I hate to say bag, but I got a bag of um, Mana Decentraland tokens, and um, it's up 0.8% in the past 24 hours. So, all right, man. The, the Metaverse token is not doing too bad. Uh, the Sandbox Metaverse token, up 21.7% in the past seven days, down 3.5% in the past 24 hours, but still up 21.7% in the past seven days. Um, so sounds like some metaverse tokens are doing pretty super all right, man. Um, the flow, which is flow NFTs also deals with some metaverse type of stuff up 24.7%. Um, let's see. T fuel, um, theta is technically a metaverse ish type of, uh, uh, token. So it sounds like an engine coin up 10.1%. So it sounds like a lot of these metaverse gamey type of tokens seem to be doing pretty well despite everything else. So, huh, interesting. Yeah, so the metaverse is in full bloom right now, which brings to light now this article that I was going to read. Um, metaverse versus data privacy, a clash of the titans. Okay, so 
What's up, uh, person that writes in Cyrillic alphabet? I've seen you jump on here uh, several times, so thank you for jumping on again. I don't know if you can understand me, but, uh, you know, um, okay, or maybe you're just like a Russian bot. I don't know. But either way, whatever. Thanks for, for uh, jumping on the stream and contributing <laughs> to the stats. <laughs> Okay, so uh, Metaverse, uh, it's a to it's an article on VentureBeat. I don't know anything about VentureBeat, so if the source is lame, let me know, and I won't you know, read from it anymore. But this is just, you know, I, the headline caught my eye, and so I read the article last night, and I figured, hey, I'll talk about that tomorrow morning. Um, anyway, so it may, well, where did my notes go? I made all these notes on here. Oh, well. Uh, all right, so it may well be another clash of the titans when the upcoming Metaverse such as we understand now, meets data privacy. And I've been thinking about this for quite a while. You know, Facebook, obviously the big bad Facebook coming in. Um, the term metaverse has been existing for quite a while before Facebook, but Facebook, you know, came in and they kind of co-opted everything and uh, said, we're going to name our metaverse meta. We're going to name Facebook meta, you know, like, like, like they own the name, you know, <laughs> like, it's like a you know, a, a board company coming in and naming their skateboards skateboard, you know the skateboard company. You know, like dude, you don't own skateboards, you know. And like, well, we do now. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, that's kind of what Facebook seems to have done. They've gone gone in and like named their metaverse. They named Facebook Meta. You know, um, as if they own the metaverse. The metaverse is not really supposed to be owned by anybody. I I'll want you to know. Um, and uh, of course, centralized companies going to be coming in. This kind of reminds me like at the very beginning of Microsoft Windows, um, you know, the, the, there were a lot of software developers back then, and there still are, uh, doing open source projects and stuff like that. And uh, they wanted to keep it open source, you know, the, and that's what Linux was too before Red Hat came around. And, you know, Bill Gates sat there and took a lot of that technology and then wrapped it up in a package, called it Windows, and then made it for sale. And then, you know, uh, went on the attack towards a bunch of open source developers who were creating other similar applications. And uh, that's what the whole, I think, um, if I'm correct, the whole antitrust thing was about uh, him creating a monopoly um, for computer users. Um, so, but yeah, back then computer users were hobbyists and they were writing programs, they were writing uh, operating systems and stuff like that. And then Bill Gates, you know, came straight through there, wrapped it up and then decided to, to turn it into a commercial product. Um, so, and then <laughs> tried to exclude everybody else from, from, uh, making any money off of it. Um, so anyway, Facebook, it seems, you know, it's not exactly the same, but it seems very familiar. Um, so anyway, it may be, well be another clash of the titans between dataverse, uh, data privacy and the metaverse. The metaverse wants to harvest new uncharted personal information, even to the point of noting and analyzing where your eyes go on a screen. How long you gaze at a certain product? Uh, data privacy, on the other hand, wants to protect consumers from this incessant cherry picking. And... If you don't think that they're not looking at how long you stay on particular screens, like for instance, if you go to Walmart or Home Depot, Best Buy, Target, you know, there are these cameras all around that stare at you. They track you the second they walk in the door. And yes, they track you 
and then they they see how long you sit in you know in in front of a certain product they try to figure out what you're looking at and stuff like that then they sell that marketing information to all types of companies not just food brands and stuff like that but you know um companies that do consulting on how to set up stores you know all types of companies you know and yeah, they make money from that data. They they probably make more money from the data of people that walk in the store than the, sometimes the actual products. And maybe that's in Walmart's case because Walmart's so cheap. So think about it. You know, data is gold, and Walmart has tons of data from all the people that go in and out of the store and buy there, and then from their buying habits and stuff like that. So they they might be making more money from that data. You know, think about that. So anyway. Um, data, on the other hand, wants to protect consumers from this incessant cherry picking. That, friends, describes the upcoming battle in the future world of har harvesting new personal preference information, and companies are already planning on how to monetize this potential bonanza for themselves. It's a smorgasbord of information. No longer do they have to build brick and mortar establishments. They can build a 3D metaverse and then, you know, sit there and sell you everything that they can possibly think of, and a lot of the stuff isn't even real. So one can bet that in the new online economy of the future, plenty of new startups will be lining up on both sides of data privacy and the metaverse um, data collection. So when you talk about going into a virtual or an augmented reality, it's all about information as power, said David Nudie, senior VP for North America Channel at Nord Security. So he said, when you talk about going to a metaverse or an augmented reality, now what augmented reality is, let me uh, uh, kind of get everybody up on the same page. Think about putting on those Google glasses and then everywhere you look, you know, you can if you if you need a map and you're you're in a downtown of a city, you can you know, put the address you need and then Google glasses will will show you the Google Maps translucent view so you can follow the little line of where you're supposed to go. Or uh, if you want to put it on another setting, think about like maybe um, uh, if you're in a store and you can put on the glasses or whatever and say you go into like a furniture store. And uh, you can just look around the furniture store and everything will have the information and the price tags on it in your view. So, you know, you won't have to look at price tags or anything like that. It'll be there. So, yeah, I can see stores, you know, having the augmented reality glasses up at the front counter that you can go check out or whatever, you know, and then you walk around the store with those on. So anyway. That's augmented reality type of stuff. Yeah, and there's augmented reality graffiti artists right now in places like New York City, for instance, that create graffiti on a wall. And then um, you can sit there and look at it through augmented reality glasses or through your iPhone. You hold it up to it and it will show you an augmented reality version of that graffiti like that may be animated and interactive and all that type of stuff. So that's what augmented reality is. So when you talk about going in, into a virtual or an augmented reality, it's all about information as power. Um, they don't create these platforms to feel good about bringing people together. They're mining information that is sold off to serve you content that is relevant to what you like to do. All right. So these people are not benevolent little, you know, dictators or governments or corporations like that, wanting everybody to form communities and feel good about themselves. You know, no, they want to make money and they, they want control and power. That's what they do. All right. Um, it just blows my mind, you know, that the people think that. A lot of these 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 government and corporate organizations and stuff like that are out 
to be just you know happy little people that want to, you know happy little communities and societies and they're they're creating these tools for free you know that that want to bring people together you know in diverse walks of life no man those are marketing pitches you know they want to make money they want information they want control and they want to sell you everything that they possibly can all right, so they don't create these platforms to feel good about bringing people together. They're mining information that is sold off to serve you content that is relevant to what you like to do. For example, if I'm in an augmented reality environment, a company may want to serve me an advertisement for a couch because they can see in my augmented environment that my couch is kind of ratty and in the background. It's through artificial intelligence, they'll serve me up a color of a new couch that matches the paint on the wall of my house, right? So if I serve up an advertisement, it's no longer knowing that I'm serving up the advertiser to the person, but how long my eyeballs are focused on that content. So yeah, yeah that's just the way it is. Um, so charting your eye movements on screen, the value of those few seconds on the screen to advertisers can't be overstated. The question is, should companies have use of the analytics of that long stare at the new phone you're thinking about buying or a new Peloton you're admiring? Uh, if you contend this is an over-the-top invasion of personal space, get with it. That plane left the runway a long time ago. My previous illustration with Walmart and Target, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. Uh, so the, that plane left the runway a long time ago. This is all going to depend upon whether a user even wants to enter the metaverse in the first place. So this article was written on January 28th, and it was Data Privacy Day on January 28th. I did not know that. Which, which hopes to highlight the coming struggle within a specific, though arbitrary, 24-hour period. Um, so a recent study from NordVPN revealed that a whopping 87% of Americans expressed major privacy concerns if Facebook secedes in its proposed metaverse. Uh, so let me take a look at this, this Data Privacy Day link. I'm curious because I didn't know anything. They did a terrible job marketing Data Privacy Day, for sure. They were maybe too private about it. <laughs> so Data Privacy Day happens every 20, January 28th. Um, it is an international effort to create awareness about the importance of respecting privacy, safeguarding data, and enabling trust. Each year, the IAPP, I don't know what that is, partners with Stay Safe Online to promote Data Privacy Day. And just like that, just like last year, we were celebrating for the entire month of January. Oh, so great. They now have an entire month. Okay. Seems like everything just starts with a day, then it becomes a month, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's have Polka Dot Day. Oh, it's Polka Dot Month now. Um, but then people, these causes all start arguing with each other. No, January is my month. No, it's my month. You know, across the globe, KnowledgeNet chapters will host their first gatherings of the year, giving you the opportunity to share professional experiences and have some fun because privacy is worth celebrating. I agree about that. Uh, so they give you a chance to celebrate privacy for a chance to win big. Uh, ah, interesting. Okay. Um, what is IAPP here? Um, uh, let me see. I am curious. Um, and uh, I mean, they're claiming a day and now a whole month. I mean, I need to know what IAPP is. So IAPP.org. Um, interesting. Anyway, I'll come back to that. I, I got totally sidetracked. This episode is going to probably go long and I'll probably end up sitting here being late um, to work. So uh, let's see here. Um, International Association of Privacy Professionals. Okay, cool. All right. So that's what IAPP is. And uh, now you know. And knowing is half the battle. Um, those of you who watched G.I. Joe as kids, which I did, um, that was my daily cartoon back in the 80s. Um, so anyway, so they're sitting there rattling off these statistics by the, uh, the IAPP. Um, 
Let's see here. Uh, so, so 87% of Americans express major concerns if Facebook succeeds in creating its proposed metaverse. Okay. I, I mean, honestly, there's always going to be a decentralized version of every centralized thing. It's like this, like this article is about the clash of the Titans, you know, freedom. Ver it's funny because somebody, I can't remember who um, on Twitter sat there and said, you know, in, in, in North America, politics used to be um, um, liberal and conservative, right? Uh, now it's more going towards authoritarian or libertarian. And those two things don't really correlate well with each other. So it used to be red and blue, liberal, conservative, and then now it's going towards um, you know, authoritarian versus libertarian. Um, that's kind of the way the red and blues feel like they're starting to work out now. But this is not a politics podcast. I just, you know, I, it was an interesting thing. It just kind of made me think. I'm like, yeah, you know, the, the, the political landscape really is changing now. Um, with different frames of thought, because what we thought of before as liberal, they're actually becoming a little more authoritarian. And then the people that were the conservative authoritarians back in the 90s, you know, in the 80s and stuff like that, Nancy Reagan, Tipper Gore and all that, you know, the the the, the Christian society, they're they're now the, the radical ones that seem, seem a little more liberal. You know, it's, it's weird, but they're libertarian, I guess. Anyway, like I said, it's not a political podcast, but I just, it just made me think, you know, it's like all the punk rockers too back in the 80s. I mean, that was some hardcore punk, dude. You know, you got the exploited and black flag and all that stuff, you know, and then nowadays, you know, these people that are sitting there talking about how crappy the government and cops are and everything like that. You know, they're sitting there vouching and trying to lock down society and, you know, follow along with whatever the corporate government structures have to say about uh, everything. It's just weird. You know, like I grew up with punk rock and around punk rockers and a punk rock skater and all that type of stuff. You know, and then now all these people that were so punk rock back then and anti-government and establishment are like in lockstep with everything that the math mainstream media and the establishment has to say. You know, Johnny Rotten from from uh, Sex Pistols will tell you about that as well. Uh, and, and he will talk smack about all his other um, colleagues at the time, you know, so who, who are sitting there defending all this authoritarian stuff that's going on. Anyway, so, hey, and you see that in Neil Young too, you know, like the dude's all about freedom, you know, what's he doing sitting there trying to impose censorship on Joe Rogan or whatever, you know, like him or not, Joe Rogan hasn't said jack squat about it and is just going on about his business. Anyway, so, Let's back up a little and define these terms. Metaverse is the term meta. Uh, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg foisted on the world last October. No, I, I correct this article here. Mark Zuckerberg did not come up with the term metaverse. Like I said at the beginning of the show, metaverse has been around for a long time. And then Mark Zuckerberg came around and he decided he wanted to, to call his company Meta. And basically own the metaverse. Like I said, it's like a skateboard company calling their boards skateboards. Yeah. You know? And they are the skateboard company. No, you can't do that. So anyway, at a high level, it means the coming, the combining of the real and digital worlds. That's what the metaverse is. Yeah, and I can agree with that. So the combining of the real and digital worlds such that it becomes difficult to ascertain reality from unreality. In this new setting, personal avatars are quickly expected to multiply. Okay, so, ah, okay. Zuckerberg introduced the metaverse. I disagree with that. And even produced a video explaining what it will look like. Yes, I agree with that. He did produce a video explaining what he looked like, but he did not introduce the metaverse. Maybe to a mass amount of people, he evangelized it, but he did not introduce it. So I want to clarify that. 
So anyway, that little stunt of him creating this commercials and calling his company Meta and then you know, in, in explaining and evangelizing the Metaverse to a, a mass amount of people, it famously received mixed reviews. He called the Metaverse an embodied internet where you're in the experience, not just looking at it. Imagine you could meet your friends from all over the world in virtual reality, discuss business with partners without leaving your office or access fantasy world you've always dreamed about. That's what Mark Zuckerberg has in mind. Advertiser and online merchants, not to mention Meta itself, have other ideas, however. Some other data points from that study from the NordVPN. 47% don't trust their identity will be legally protected. 45% fear that, that even more data can be collected and used against them. 43% are concerned about not being sure of the identity of others. 41% think it'll be hard to safeguard their real identity from metaverse identity. And 37% fear that their transactions won't be very secure. So most of these, one, two, three out of five of these have to deal with identity. And that's where the entire decentralized identity conversation comes through. You have um, actors like ontology, like bright ID, proof of humanity. Um, a lot of these um, projects coming out trying to create decentralized IDs where they don't collect all your information for your metaverse ID or whatever, your, your, your online wallet information and everything like that, um, your profile pics and stuff like that, because it's becoming integral, you know, and your, your metaverse, your, your online ID is starting to mesh and intermingle with your real ID. Uh, so how do you maintain your privacy with that? And that's what these projects, you know, uh, bless them, uh, Bright ID and Proof of Humanity and Ontology are all trying to work on how to maintain the integrity of that privacy while still creating an online ID and be able to to establish trust, you know, between um, people online. So you don't have to fear fear that um, your ID won't be legally protected or that you know you you, can, you know who somebody else is or that it, you, you, you think it will be hard to safeguard your real identity from your metaverse identity if you want to keep that separate. Yeah, they're, they're work, people are working on mechanisms to do this. So um, plus though, all these percentages, I don't trust statistics anymore, especially after this entire uh, lockdown and pandemic and stuff like that. I just don't trust statistics. I'm sorry. My entire trust for the establishment, for the medical industry, for statistics and everything else went out the window. Um, so yeah, um, I, I want to look at this study and that, that study is linked up above and I will. Um, and I'll link that in the description. So what is biometrically inferred data? Uh, Kavya Perlman, founder of XR Safety Initiative, a nonprofit that advocates for the ethical development of immersive technologies. That sounds like a fun job. Told VentureBeat that privacy is all about the data collection because there is this enormous amount of data that will be harvested. You can't have the convergence of these environments. That's what I'm most concerned about. And it's a good point. This is now all about biometrically inferred data. Our data privacy laws need to be updated because they are inadequate. This enormous eye tracking, gate tracking, the way you move, the way you talk, all this analysis can infer a lot of information about you. And then there are intersections of these other technologies, which is just like a brain computer interface um, that will provide the alpha, beta, gamma, and even your thoughts at some point. What happens to privacy when our thoughts are not even protected? All this information stacked in cloud storage and constantly being analyzed by multiple buyers could give companies a greater ability to understand individual traits. They might know more about you than you know about yourself. For example, an insurance company might see a behavioral clue inferring a customer's health problem before the person notices anything herself. 
So there suddenly you get a bill in the mail or it's not even in the mail anymore. You know, suddenly you see on your credit, on your card and your bank account, this, this huge increase in your health insurance. And then you're going, God, man, why? why? Well, we feel that, you know, you, we, you might have Parkinson's, you know, we just saw some behavior. We saw some movement um, and uh, we want you to go checked out. So we are going to freeze your health insurance or we're going to charge you additional until you go down to the doctor and get that checked out. That's what something like that would may look like, you know? Um, so anyway, um, one common denominator about all this is that our sources agree upon is that this is only the beginning of a new phase of commerce and socialization on the internet. As time and tech move on, the results of data privacy policies, software, and hardware will become apparent. The other item everybody agrees on is that national, international, and local laws and regulations will lag far behind the advancement of technology as it has for decades. And we can see this in the cryptocurrency industry right now, too. You know, there's all types of crazy DeFi, DGen stuff out there that's way ahead of any type of regulatory bodies, you know, so... Uh, and, that, and the regulatory bodies do not like that, you know, that it, it's really hard. I mean, you sit there and listen to Congress sitting there trying to talk about meme coins and stuff like that, you know, and they come up with the mongoose coin, you know, <laughs> like, they, they don't understand it. And there's a few people in Congress and the government that understand some of this stuff, but they're, they're few and far between, you know, so it takes a long time for regulatory agencies and governments to really catch up with the advancement of technology. So that's why I love this stuff because it's kind of a way to stay ahead, you know, be be like the little Aladdin thief, you know, running around the bazaar, you know, outsmarting all the goons with their big swords. You know, so, yeah. um, other takes on metaverse versus data privacy. Um, so uh, some other varying perspectives on the coming battle between data privacy and the metaverse, the clash of the titans. So Peter Evans, the CEO of Patriot One Technologies, we don't expect the issues of data privacy or security to go away with the metaverse. As an industry, we see repeated examples where technology gets way ahead of security, data privacy, and good governments, and the world's zeal to play with new and interesting things and leverage them for business benefit, competitive advantage, and profit. Yeah, and a lot of people get wrecked whenever technology gets too far ahead of regulations. So I'm not dogging completely on regulatory structures and government bodies. You know, it's needed because, you know, then you have the whole, you know, just, just like in the 1930s, you know, child labor and stuff like that and technology getting way ahead of regulatory bodies. And you get, you know, these, these companies using eight-year-olds to do their labor, you know, it's like, and then like in crypto industry, you know, you get these super, you know, crazy degen apps, you know, that just like completely taken advantage of, of people and scammers and stuff like that. So you need regulatory bodies to come in and help this stuff. So it's like a slinky, it's this constant back and forth, this push and pull between these two powers of centralization and decentralization. So anyway, all the issues that we've recently seen in the press about Facebook's use of data to drive marketing and revenue are examples of market opportunity, getting ahead of good governance, security, and protection. And yes, we've seen Facebook, you know, that's just marketing and technology getting way ahead of good governance, security, and protection of people's information. This has been going on for 20 plus years, going back to the first introduction of the internet, online banking, and e-commerce, AI, and facial recognition. I mean, people say, you know, well, I mean, I hate the kind of defeatist mentality of, well, they already tried us anyway they know everything about us through our credit cards and our atm cards yeah i know that's why we need digital cash dude you know like you don't want them to know everything about you because it might not be so bad right now but th this is turning to a social credit system where they will shut you down if you get 
completely out of lockstep. And if you think they're going to give up a little bit of liberty for you, um, for a little bit of security, that, that security is only going to be just for a little, that, that liberty is only going to last for just a little amount of time. Then they're going to clamp down and ratchet it up a little further. So we see issues repeating themselves, these issues over and over again with governments and data privacy often, often lagging. By the time the world opens its eyes to the data privacy, man, data management issues, it's too late because the horse has left the barn. Uh, with each new iteration of innovation, we see an order of magnitude jump in both business benefits as well as the complexity of data privacy issues. I expect we will see the same with the metaverse. So uh, Ben Brooks, CEO of Transcend, a data privacy software provider, he says, in the beginning, the metaverse can actually be good for privacy, okay, because people can adopt anonymous avatars. And that's whenever you stay a little ahead of the regulatory agencies. And that's what I'm talking about, about being Aladdin in the bazaar outsmarting all the goons, you know. Um, because the metaverse in that case can be good for privacy because people can adopt the anon avatars. But over time, as we spend more time in the metaverse and our avatar becomes a bigger portion of our life, in a sense, we become our avatars as we shop, uh, we consume with it, and we form our relationships with it, then all the same privacy principles will apply. Um, it's still too early to say what specific protections that we require as usage evolves, but the reality is we're not starting from the most solid foundation uh, in many jurisdictions, consumers don't yet have the protections they need for today and, and what we're already dealing with, let alone the metaverse, the myriad new ways their data may be used and abused tomorrow. More data means advertisers have a substantially richer cupboard, 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 how do you say it, uh, to mine for far deeper targeting, often using the same platforms that are speaking most loudly about the metaverse's potential. Yep. Uh, so yeah, more data means advertisers have a substantially richer cupboard uh, to mine for far deeper targeting, often using the very same platforms that are speaking most loudly about the potential of it, aka Meta, Facebook, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, David Blonder, Senior Director, Legal Counsel, Regulatory and Privacy and Data Protection Officer at BlackBerry. BlackBerry is still around? Wow. Okay. Anyway, with the metaverse creating a hybrid reality, it's important to remember one simple truism. People will trade security for convenience. Yes. And that's, we see a lot of that happening right now. The and, but like I said, it only that security and the only lasts for a little while. The metaverse will see considerably more user interaction than a cell phone. Wow. Uh, therefore, it is not unreasonable to assume it would collect much more information and attract many more attackers as well. For security to succeed in the metaverse, it will have to be implemented in a way that is robust without negatively impacting user convenience. Anyway, uh, like I said, I've, I've gone overboard. I've gone over time. I got to get this uploaded and get the hell out of here and get on the highway. Uh, I got to get to work. You know, I got to go be an employee and do my deal. All right, so you guys have a happy Monday. Um, I hope I brought your Monday in. Uh, I hope I bring it in on a positive note. You know, I, I'm, I sometimes I sit there and give scathing attacks and feel, you know, very pessimistic. And, you know, I, I, I talk smack about governments and regulatory bodies and stuff. Like, but, you know, I really um, am optimistic about all this and about the future and stuff like this. And I do have confidence in, in the balance between centralization and decentralization and that there will always be, uh, freedom and liberty and things like that, pushing back against powers that want to completely control us and enslave us. And that's just part of human nature. And it's been a pattern all throughout history. Uh, so anyway, I want to leave you on a positive note. Um, all right. Thanks guys for, for watching. Uh, give a thumbs up if you, if you think I'm super okay. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'll talk to you when I talk to you. I, I'm not going to do this every day anymore, um, just because I have a lot of other stuff going on now that I didn't before. 
Um, before it was just the show, but now it's my, my job and a bunch of other stuff like podcasting work. So, uh, I'm not going to do this every day, but I will do it as much as possible several times a week. All right. Well, I will talk to y'all, um, later. All right. Bye. Thank you for making it to the end of this program. If you actually like this content, give a thumbs up. And if you want to hear more, just hit the subscribe button. I'm available on YouTube, Odyssey, and BitChute, and on all the major podcasting platforms in audio version. Spotify specifically, if you would like to follow and leave a review, that would help a lot. I am also available on Twitter at EurekaJohn1. That's E-U-R-E-K-A John, J-O-H-N, and the number one. My DMs are always open. Feel free to shoot me a message. If you would like to donate some stablecoin or Ethereum, please feel free to send it to eurekajohn.crypto or eurekajohn.eth. This will help with the gas costs for all these protocols that I mess around with. Because that gas adds up and I ain't rich. Yet. Thanks again.